podcast has bad words. <laughs> Hello, patrons. You're listening to the Minimalist Private Podcast. This is the Maximal episode. And today we're going to kill you <laughs> with love. <laughs> You're welcome. I was going to start this, uh, this episode with one of my favorite TED Talks. It's by a guy named uh, Bona Muhammad. And he has a, a video called kill them with love it's spoken word poetry but i thought instead we'd end the episode with that so you have something to look forward to here he has one of these lines in there where he said talks about say hi and buy less mm. and this double entendre of the you know, the buying less and being kind with people you know it's almost like a, a remix of love people use things say hi and buy less mm. but i do want to talk about more about less we start this episode with a well with a little segment where we read something from something that might stand out to you about stuff or whatever the topic is that we're talking about for the day and since we're talking about stuff today and rules and minimalism rules we're going to get to your favorite minimalism rules by the way leave them in the patreon comments as well i'd love to hear especially from our patrons some of their favorite rules so yeah. comment on this episode the audio version of this episode ideally so everyone has access to your insights just leave a comment there. What is your 17th rule? Before we get into those, Ryan, I wanted to read these six questions to ask before buying to catch up. We've got yeah. a lot of new patrons right now. And so I thought we would catch you up if you don't know about the six questions to ask before buying. By the way, we have a version of this on our website. If you go to theminimalists.com slash resources, you can download a free wallpaper with these questions on it. Yeah. And, it and it doesn't have the expanded version of the questions, but these are... are are six questions to ask yourself before making any new purchase. Number one, who am I buying this for? The things we own don't tell the world who we are, but sadly, they often communicate who we want to be. When this happens, we mistakenly let our possessions shape our identity. We showcase our favorite brands in a futile effort to signify our own individuality. See this shiny new thing? This is who I am. Our logos make us feel unique, mm. just like everybody else. The brands themselves aren't the problem, though. We all need some stuff, so we rely on companies to create the things we need. The problem arises when we feel external pressure to acquire as if the new trinkets were a shortcut to a more complete life. That external pressure needn't be a sign to consume, if anything, it's a sign to pause and ask, who am I buying this for? Is that new thing for you? Or are you buying it to project an image for others? If it's truly for you and it makes sense to purchase, then by all means, go ahead, get it. Let's not deprive ourselves of the things that enhance our lives. But if you're buying things just to signal a sort of consumerist equanimity, then you're getting in the way of the freedom you're mm. attempting to purchase. Man, Anthony uh, over at Ramsey. Yes. He was telling us about the, I think it was a Gucci bag that he got. Anthony O'Neill. We yeah. did a, so you can actually check this out. Uh, Anthony O'Neill, The Table is the name of his show. Great podcast. Um, and yeah, great episode. But he was talking about how he spent, I forget what it was, thousands of dollars on this Gucci bag mm -hmm. backpack. Yes. And the whole idea was he was imagining 
what people would say to him and how they would look at him when he purchased that. And Who am I buying this for? Yeah, and he, uh, yeah, he, spoiler alert, I'm going to tell you pretty much of the story, some cliff notes here. He goes to work, he's carrying it. People, Anthony, man, that's a nice bag, man, looking cool. Walking around, people, oh, where'd you get that bag at? Like, everyone's doing that. And then he just had this revelation of like, wow, like, I literally bought this bag for attention. Mm. And I could put use, that money to use in, in such a better way than just getting people's attention. Yes. So he went and he returned it, which I thought was awesome. But yeah, he, the detailed stories on the podcast, it's, it's a pretty good story. He could have used all six of these questions for that purchase. Yeah. By the way, I'm on page 63 right now of love people use things. Number two, will this add value to my life? I don't own many things, but everything I own adds value to my life. Meaning each of my belongings from my car and clothes to my furniture and electronics functions either as a tool or adds aesthetic value to my life. Mm. In other words, does it serve a function or increase my well-being in a meaningful way? If not, it's not worth buying Mm. back to the Gucci bag. So let's ask that question. Does it serve a function? Yes, it does. Is that the best bag for that function probably not right. a gucci bag probably isn't the best bag well it, it, yeah i totally agree um but there is a function with being noticed right it's, there's a function of drawing attention yes so the, the question is is it the right type of function uh-huh. that you are looking for right and, and if you want to seek attention and you want to do it through a gucci bag at least admit that right yeah. because then you're being true to yourself and you're being true to others and i'm not saying that you're morally wrong for doing that you're not but quite often we justify by saying oh yeah it's a nice backpack but really it's like i'm looking for a shortcut to attract eyeballs onto me mm. number three can i afford it this is the third question to ask mm. if you have to charge a new purchase to a credit card you can't afford it amen If you have to finance it, you can't afford it. Amen. And if you're in debt, you can't afford it. Just because you can buy something today, that doesn't mean you can actually afford it. If you can't, it's better left on the shelf. Mm. But what about buying a house or going to college? Surely those are exceptions, right? While they might be different debts and they're better than, say, credit card debt, they're still debt. It's been said for thousands of years that the borrower is slave to the lender. And so it makes sense to pay off any debt as quickly as possible. I know this point of view isn't normal, but normal is what thrust us into our current $14 trillion mess. Mm. We'll address many of the misconceptions about debt in the relationship with money chapter. It says mm. here. So, yeah, we do talk about debt in the book, but really the thing to communicate here is can I afford it? And, and so if I don't have the money to buy the thing, then I don't buy the thing. Right. That, that's the simple way to look at it. Number four, even if I do have the money to buy the thing, is this the best use of this money? In other words, how else can you use this money? So the Gucci backpack, Ryan, how else could he have used that money? And right. when we talked to him about that, he had a dozen answers really quickly. The ways he would have rather used the $4,000, whatever insane amount that he spent on some backpack. Mm-hmm. If that was still like, oh yeah, this is still the best use of this money for me. Okay, I'm not going to judge you for that. Sure. But you have identified, oh, and then you know what? There are maybe a dozen other ways I'd rather spend this money. Mm. Or even if there's one other way you'd rather spend this money, then it's not the best use of the money. 
In other words, how else can you use this money? What are the alternatives? The songwriter Andy Davis sings a line in his song, Good Life, that succinctly captures our culture's misappropriation of finances. Ryan, you want to sing this line for us? <laughs> no, I'm not going to sing it. It's a great line, though. Uh, yeah, we struggle to pay rent because jeans are expensive. I mean, what's he saying? Yeah. He's like, yeah, you know what? My priorities are wrong, but I got to look good in them jeans. Yes. Yeah. And, and that's what we do. We're struggling to pay rent, not because we're struggling to pay rent, but because we are allocating the money in these places that don't align with the person we want to be. Mm-hmm. Question number five from Love People Use Things. What's the actual cost? As discussed in the introduction chapter, the true cost of a thing goes well beyond its price tag. In business, they call this full cost accounting. But let's call it what it really is. These are the actual costs of owning all the things we think we need. When it comes to the items we own, we must consider the storage costs, maintenance costs, and psychological costs. When we add it all up, we're able to understand the true cost. And often, we realize we can't afford it even if we can afford the upfront cost. And finally, number six, would the best version of me buy this? And I really think that's what Anthony was struggling with with that backpack. Mm. This isn't the best version of me. Yeah, This is the attention-seeking version of me. It's a fabricated version. And attention, he knows that attention is a byproduct of doing something meaningful with his work, with his creativity, with his show, whatever it might be. That gets him the attention. But he gives a talk in front of all these college students or high school students. That's a different type of attention. Yeah. That's earned attention. Mm. There is no shortcut. There are only direct paths, right? Mm-hmm. A few years ago, my friend Leslie stood in her local grocer's checkout line, fumbling with her wallet's zipper, preparing to make an impulse purchase. But then, suspended in queue, she was given time to question the thing in her hand. She pondered the item carefully and asked herself a question. What would Joshua do? That is, if I were in her shoes, would I make this purchase? No, she thought, and promptly returned the item to the shelf. When she told me about her experience, she joked that she wanted to buy one of those WWJD bracelets to help her avoid compulsive consumption going forward. I laughed, but then realized that I too could benefit from making more frequent use of this question, and so could others. To be clear, I don't want you to walk around asking yourself, what would Joshua do? Please don't. Rather, it's a rhetorical question. What would the best version of you do in this situation? If he or she wouldn't buy it, then you know what to do. Pausing to consider each new purchase with these six questions seems like a hassle at first, but in time, It's a habit that will reward you and your family with less clutter around the house and more money to spend on what's important to you. After all, the easiest way to declutter your life is to avoid bringing it home in the first place. Mm. Those are six questions to ask before buying. Yeah. Let's get into what are the minimalists' favorite rules that they've learned from their audience. Actually, before we do that, Ryan, we've been calling our audience now for about a year. We've been calling them simpletons, and it just hasn't caught fire the way I wanted it to. <laughs> I think you people. Mean, you mean insulting our audience hasn't caught fire? I was trying to reclaim the term. <laughs> reclaim it? <laughs> yes. 
I don't think it originally. Anyway, no, I, it was claimed. I want to reclaim it oh, for us. Oh, got you, got you. Okay. Yeah, a reclamation project that failed mm, for me. Mm. So I'm thinking, and so patrons, let me know in the comments of the audio episode. What if we just start calling our audience minimizers? Minimizers. Ryan and I were I like actually that. we were going to do a show. This is back in 2014. We. Uh, we filmed a sizzle reel for this TV pilot thing that never got picked up. The show was called The Minimizers, and it was yeah. basically Ryan's packing party. But we, we would go in people's houses and help them through the packing party. And it didn't work, although there was a, a channel that stole the concept, literally, even the 21-day <laughs> thing. They didn't call it a packing party, thankfully. No. Uh, it was like called a uh, the 21 day decluttering party right, right. <laughs> it was something like that anyway yeah. um, and the show was called the minimizers and I thought well since we're the minimalists what if the people who listen to the show are simply minimizers yeah I like that let me know audience let us know or if you comments. have a better name let us know yes yeah that's a great great idea so minimizers if that's your number one vote or something else as well or maybe you like minimizers and you have another idea looking forward to those in the patreon comments mm. what are the minimalist favorite rules that they've learned from their audience we, got a lot here. We, yeah, we put together some some are questions some are some rules so we can go through these add your favorite mm. rules in the comments as well tina has something for us ryan I get rid of one thing every day. If I get rid of five things today, great. But I still have to get rid of one thing tomorrow. It really adds up. I could see that. Um, yeah. It's, it's just like the one in 10 out rule. I mean, in the sense that you do it too long, like you're going to end up with negative things. Sure. Um, but it sounds to me like Tina is someone who realizes she has a bit of a hoard mm -hmm. and she is trying to declutter that hoard it almost seems like the men's game light mm, you know what yes. i'm saying yeah in fact the, the question i ask in less is now what if i get rid of one item every day for 30 days what would happen yeah and that's really was that was the birth of the the men's game the, the 30 day minimalism game mm -hmm. which is our 16th rule of the 16 um anyway the the whether you're doing one in, 10 out or whatever, what she's talking about here is maintaining momentum. Yes. If for me, I work out every day. Well, except this morning because of the fall I had last night. <laughs> I'll Ryan, beat you up. As soon as you turn 40, your hips start, you fall on your hip. It's, it's like this, uh, this metaphor for living. Yeah. Anyway, <laughs> I, um, yeah, I, I work out every day, but it's not the extreme go to the gym, you hurt, uh, hustle, lot of, it's like a five out of 10. Yeah. Six out of 10 mm. every day. And, but I do it every day knowing that, because if I do, if I go 10 out of 10 today, I'm not going to do it tomorrow. Right. And if, ah, oh, you know what? I went 10 out of 10 yesterday. I could give it two days off. And then all of a sudden before I know it, it's a week off. And, but if I'm, if I'm just doing it every day, I'm maintaining a body that is functioning well. Mm. Well, we're talking about maintaining a home that is functioning well. Mm -hmm. It's dysfunction is often rooted in our ooh dysfunction is rooted in excess tweet Boom. that podcast sean <laughs> so tina i appreciate the rule maybe if we had a name yeah. let's let's give these some names okay so uh the one thing a day rule okay we're gonna yeah. call that the one thing a day rule thank you tina nice forest has an observation for us actually a question for us how do we deal with people who don't get it and continue to ignore our pleas to stop giving us stuff. I see lots of discussion in groups where family brings gifts all the time, unwanted items. You know, 
this is this is tough because it's hard to have that tough conversation with someone who is disrespecting the way that you want to live your life. Yes, and I think it's really hard in these scenarios because they're seemingly good gestures, sure. right? Yeah. But if you if you take this to an extreme, okay, what if someone keeps touching my breasts? Mm-hmm. What do you do then? Right. Oh, but they 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 don't mean any harm. By but that's it. their love language, right? It's yeah. like, well, no, that that is. A, a boundary you obviously have, right? Right. If I have a family member who just starts grabbing my crotch, mm-hmm. no, right. What are you doing? I said, and by the way, I said no once, and you keep doing this. Mm-hmm. Now you now you're doing something that is truly offensive to me. You're mm-hmm. heaping your desires on to me. Now, when you use the sexual abuse side of things, mm-hmm. it becomes really easy to see. And no, I'm not equating sexual abuse to gift giving. No. But that's what how comparisons work. It's an analogy so we can understand. Sometimes we need a hyperbolic example so we can understand the fundament of what is going wrong here. Well, with your example, it's it just shows the uh the ability to gain leverage to like speak up. Mm-hmm. It's a little bit harder in this situation that Force is talking about because someone they are trying to be kind. I mean, I remember um yeah, my mom, she would get me tons of you know for all intents and purposes useless things right for christmas and there was one particular christmas where i was like and this is not the way to approach it by the way there's a much nicer way to approach this but she like gave me all this stuff and i'm like mom like like there's a business card holder (laughs) i'm like you know like okay i might be able to use that because i mean this is back when i was working in the corporate days i'm like i might be able to use that like i see where you're going there i'm like but everything else like you're just you're basically handing me something that I'm going to have to now take a trip to go to the donation store and drop off. Right. And I'm just going to like bypass that right now. And I'm going to leave it on you mm. to bring this to the donation store. Yeah. Again, uh, there's a kinder way to handle there's it. There's a way kinder way to handling it. Um, and, uh, yeah. And, and, and I wish I could go back and kind of, you know, find a nicer way to handle that. However, the sentiment is there in the sense that, when someone continues to disrespect you, like mm-hmm. you have to find a very a much kinder way than what I did mm. to approach them. Um, like if I could go back, I would have just probably have been like, Hey mom, uh, I love you. I know you love me. And I know that you're getting me these things because you really want to add value to my life. Mm-hmm. Um, you know, first and foremost, like thanks for trying to go out of your way. Not even trying. Thank you for going out of your way mm-hmm. to express your love to me. Um, there's a better way to do it. And I would love to talk about ways that you can do that. Yes. And I probably would have just like taken the stuff and then went, you know, I would have made that one last trip (laughs) to the, but if someone is continuing to disrespect you when you're pleading with them to please respect you, I mean, there is a certain point where you do just have to say no. The five words that changed my life is, would you be willing to? And sometimes that is the way to say no in the kind way. Mm -hmm. I will say this, don't confuse kindness with pleasantries. And so what you're doing there is you're saying, I could have also been more pleasant with my mom right up front. But there are some scenarios where where the pleasantness needs to take a back seat. Sure. If someone is, is aggressively doing something that is overstepping the boundaries you've set and you've already set those boundaries, mm-hmm. well, then you don't have to be the most pleasant person. I used those extreme examples a moment ago about someone, you know, touching you physically, right? Mm-hmm. If someone just keeps coming up pinching your nose, Ryan, mm-hmm. 
and, I, and you've told me no already. Oh, that was all right. Can you please stop that? But eventually it's going to be, hey, I want you to stop that. Right. And that is still the kind way to behave. Yeah. Because you clearly weren't able to communicate with the the pleasantries. You weren't able to define the boundary with pleasantry. So sometimes the boundary needs to be fortified with sternness. Yeah. And so Jacqueline says something similar here. And then I want you to read, I think Kelly is sort of answering the question for mm-hmm. us. So I'm going to read Jacqueline's question here or, mm-hmm. or statement here or yeah, question. How do I communicate positively that gifts are not necessary, even if that is someone else's love language? This is like one of the most frustrating things for me because, and I wish I would have like said something because we were in, I think gold coast and someone was like, Hey, my love language is gift giving. Mm-hmm. Um, so, you know, it's not, it doesn't seem fair to me that I can't express my love language to someone else. Yes. Um, be, because, you know, simply their preference. And my thought is like, well, wait a minute. The gift giving is about the, the, the person that's receiving the gift, right? That's right. So you should be worried about their love language. It's not your love language. That is a, that's a really, um, it just seems like a very selfish approach for me to say, oh, my love language is slapping you in the face. So I'm going to slap, even though you don't want to slap in the face, I'm going to do that anyway. Again, like this is, a, <laughs> this is a ridiculous example. No one would ever do that. Actually, no, it's not that ridiculous. I mean, there's a whole kink community. Sure. We're on the Patreon episode here. We could talk about yeah, that. Like, yeah. I was listening to Dan Savage yesterday. Mm-hmm. Bex and I were. And, and there's this woman talking about how she likes to have her, she likes to get peed on. And mm-hmm. it was like, okay, like if that's, your, if that's your thing right. and you and your boyfriend are both into that, then that's wonderful. However, but, but like, what if he was really into it and you weren't? Yeah. But all, but peeing on you, Ryan, is my love language. Mm-hmm. Okay. Well, then you, th- that's not the way that I experience love. Yeah. And so what, what do we talk about, Ryan, when we say gift giving is my love language? Yeah. It's really, it's really the contribution, the adding right. value. Yes, of course. And so maybe the question to ask is in what other ways can they add value to your life? Instead of saying no to those gifts. Right. Say, would you be willing to add value to my life in a different way? Instead of saying no to the gift, saying yes to something that you would appreciate. Yeah. What observation does Kelly have here for us? Uh, before I get on to Kelly, I just I do want to say one thing. Like, if someone offers you a gift, it takes two for that exchange to happen. It's there's the gift giver and there's the receiver. If someone is continuously stepping on your, uh, stepping over your boundaries. I mean, there is a certain point where you can just be like, hey, like I've really tried to help you uh, show me other ways of, of contribution. I've, I've really asked you to respect these boundaries. You're not respecting respecting my boundaries. That's right. I'm going to go ahead and like not accept that gift. Thank you for trying to love me or, tr- you know, showing me that you love me. Um, but, you know, I, there is a certain point. How many times, you know? It's individual. It's highly individual. It is highly individual. It could be the second time for some people. It could be the 10th time for others. Right. And especially if you've provided alternatives to them, right? And so it could be that you have eschewed this first gift, but you tried to provide an alternative. They didn't completely understand the boundary. Mm -hmm. Maybe you didn't do the best job communicating. It's difficult to communicate these things at first, right? But you can communicate and and, and reestablish that boundary. But at some point, when you know you've clearly defined the boundary, Mm. then you just stick to that boundary, and that's okay. What I like about what you're saying here, Millie, is that you're encouraging 
someone to take as much responsibility as possible mm -hmm. until they can no longer take responsibility. Ah. And there's a certain point with some situations. Yes. But I will say 95% of the time, take ownership of it. Yes. Behave differently. Try something different. And you could probably come to a good understanding. But, you know, having... Uh, Having that point where someone just continues, I mean, that, I, I don't think that happens. I think that happens less than what we, you know, what we would imagine. Before we get into Kelly's statement, let me let me give one more statement on that to, to piggyback yeah, on what yeah. Ryan is saying here. Here's the other way to not be offended by it is to not be offended by it. <laughs> right? That offends me. They don't. <laughs> here's the, the irony of that. I don't have the power to offend you, Ryan. Right. You have the power to offend you. Yeah. And, and so mm, that's a good point. Now I have the power to do something violent to you that will hurt you. Sure. Physically hurt you, but we're not talking about that. Right. We're again. talking about psychological hurt. Yes. And so in terms of psychological hurt, no one, absolutely no one has the power to hurt you mm -hmm. unless you outsource that power to them. Mm, Kelly makes me, makes me think about the, uh, you can tweet that by the way, podcast, Sean makes me think, uh, just because I'm offended doesn't mean I'm right. Ah. <laughs> All right, Kelly. We lived on a sailboat for years, so minimalistic habits were easy. Buy used whenever possible. Give one to two things away for each thing brought in. Organize a local gifting table. Avoid plastic whenever possible. Use libraries. Don't give gifts that can't that one can't eat or drink unless it is an activity. Break the gift-giving cycle as much as possible and simply give people your time and energy. So Kelly's recommendation is move on a sailboat. <laughs> <laughs> it, well, it's, it's fascinating because setting up those literal boundaries, right. it's weird because I had the big house in the suburbs and it was just me and my former spouse living in that house at the time and mm -hmm. our little dog and a cat and eventually a second cat. And, uh, and I'll tell you this, it was a big house. I don't mm -hmm. know, 3,000 square feet, something like that. Sure. Uh, with the basement more than that. Yeah. And we, feel, we felt compelled to fill every corner in an organized fashion because there was a part of me that felt incomplete. Mm. And I thought if I had the complete home, the complete living room, the complete surround sound system, yeah. the complete spare bedroom, the yeah. complete walk-in closet, the complete office, the complete entertainment room, the complete dining room, the complete garage. Eventually, I'm going to be complete. Just one more bit of completion will make me complete. And... <laughs> One more bit of completion uh -huh. will make me complete. You're right. And so uh, what, what's funny about this is had I had a smaller house, I would have gotten to that dead end a little bit quicker. Right. But I, I gave myself an excuse to just fill up every, every space, every corner, every moment with stuff and, and, and doing and tasks and not knowing that I was already complete without that. Yeah. Well, it's interesting. Like, yeah, it's when you have a sailboat, it's a lot easier to set up those boundaries. When you have a big house, I mean, it takes work to get to a place of being comfortable with just kind of sitting in an empty room. I mm -hmm. mean, there are, uh, yeah, there, there, there's something to think about there for sure. Jeremy, on to Jeremy's? Yeah, Jeremy has an observation for us. All right. I don't buy things unless I let go of at least one thing generally. I also don't buy things based on income, but rather a small percentage of net worth, and I don't borrow money. The nice. net worth rule. So this is fascinating. So so um, looking at a thing, can I afford it relative to my net worth, 
right? And and so I don't look at net worth the same way as most people do. I, your net worth is not your worth. So let's let's set that out there right now. Yeah. Your net worth simply means how much money you have in the bank, right? Or assets you have plus the money you have in the bank. That's right. your that's basically your net worth minus your liabilities. If you don't have any debt like Jeremy, then you don't have any liabilities, which right. is awesome. Or so maybe that's the other thing is the low liabilities rule. Yeah, we could call it. I like that. Bravo, Jeremy. Lori has a rule for us. I think about whether or not what I buy is going to be used or worn on a daily basis. I don't own more than one of anything in my kitchen besides plates, cups, and silverware. Less stuff is less chaos in my life. So Lori's gotten to the why or the, yeah, the why mm-hmm. behind living a more simple life. She wants less chaos. Yes. So in order to have less chaos, she has to have less things. And isn't that fundamentally what almost all of us really want? Yeah. Now we tell ourselves we want it, but then we behave in ways that always add to the chaos. This is the Anthony DeMello thing about addition leads us to covering up the calm the order that is already part of the natural the natural order right mm-hmm. and then we we add things and tasks and and we add um, calendar entries and all of these different bits of clutter into our daily lives and we wonder why there's so much chaos well we invited the chaos in we we are constantly sending out these google calendar invites to chaos mm-hmm. and saying please make my life more complicated <laughs> We're scheduling time for chaos. Yes. <laughs> yeah, scheduled <laughs> chaos yeah. is what's going on. So what will we call this rule, Ryan? That I don't own more of one of anything in my kitchen. So yeah, the uh, no duplicate rule or something like oh, that. Oh, that's good. The yeah. no duplicates rule. Mm. Elizabeth has some observations for us. One, if I'm struggling to decide whether to get rid of an item, if it costs less than $100 to replace, I donate it. Mm. We keep $100 in savings specifically for replacing this kind of item. So far, we've used it once in 10 years of decluttering. And that, so that, that $100 has given you permission to let go of thousands of other items. It's like the 2020 rule, but yes. yeah, there's, it's the $100 rule, basically. In, in a way, it's like the, the, yeah, the 2020 rule, but it's $100. So anything less than $100, bucks, you are you're getting rid of. If you can't, if you're on the fence about it, mm-hmm. Ooh, so on the fence rule, maybe Ooh, yeah. we could call it that. I like that. So if you're on the fence, man, either apply the 2020 rule or do this hundred dollar rule, whatever threshold works best for you. And she has this container concept here as well. Yep. Here's the, the second, her second thought container concept. Each item belongs in a container. If I want to purchase something new, it must fit in the container. Bookshelf is a great example of this. So, if I want to buy a new book, I have to make room on the shelf. Yes. So yeah. let, let's be careful about the container thing. This, what she's not saying here is go buy a bunch of containers. Right. That was unfortunately what I did back in my 20s. And so I had an organized mess and an and organized clutter, mm. which is an oxymoron, I know. But really, it was still cluttering my whole basement. It was full of these bins. And even though they were organized, it would have been so much better to simply not have them in the way, yeah. this maze of clutter. And so 
what you're saying is you're saying metaphorical container, the bookshelf that I have. In fact, I do this now. I just never had a, a name for it, container mm. concept. Anytime I bring a new book home, one has to go because I don't have any more room for more books on my bookshelves. Yeah. And so you can see those actually in, in the home tour. If you just go to my Instagram, if you want to see the bookshelves I have, like anytime a new book comes in, something else has to go. Otherwise, I don't bring it. And it's really hard because we get a lot of people who send us books as the oh minimalists. Yeah. And so if I'm going to read it, if it's going to go on my bookshelf, I have to get rid of something else. And so I've already been applying the container concept. Now I have an actual concept for the concept. Yeah. Emma has a question for us. I have a chronic illness, so I think very carefully if an item comes into my home, whether it will be worth the cost of my energy to maintain it on balance with how much value it will bring to my life. So worth the, worth the energy rule. Yes. Yeah. So really, uh, or we can call it the true cost rule. Mm. Cause that's really what she's looking at. Mm -hmm. It's like, okay, I can bring it into my, maybe I can, I can afford it monetarily, but do I have the energy to spend the time, the attention? Yeah. The worry. Yeah. Yes, indeed. Candace has something for us. I have also learned to tell myself if I say yes to that, I am saying no to everything else mm. that puts a lot of pressure on an item to be the one yes mm. so there, there is the no one item rule yeah <laughs> i'm not sure if i'm following because so so right now it's like i want the perfect thing is what you're saying so yes. uh and maybe that that's the no perfect thing rule yes okay right and yeah. so here's the thing we, we've been told this myth like in fact ella told me this the other day she uh Bex looked over me one day. She goes, your hair looks perfect today. Mm. And Ella goes, no one's perfect, mom. <laughs> and I said, Ella, who told you that? And she just paused. And she's like, well, well just because no one is. I said, okay, well, who told you no one's perfect? And she's like, I, I don't know. Uh, okay. Now, do you really, really believe that? Or does someone else tell you to believe that? Mm. Because human beings are born complete. And in that sense, they are mm. perfect. Mm. We just imperfect ourselves through the addition, mm. through the clutter, mm. through, well, these things. So yes, there is no perfect item. Mm. You're already perfect without those things. By the way, the, how do we imperfect ourselves? It's either through acquisition or through action in general. Yeah. And so the things that we do to destroy ourselves or our, our lives, these so-called bad habits or, or detrimental behaviors, poor decisions, these things all imperfect us. Mm. But in terms of the human being, you're separate from all of those things anyway. Yeah. And that's what, how we del delineate guilt from shame in love people use things as well. Yeah. Guilt says something about the actions. And in this instance, it's about the thing. And so there is no perfect item. And, and making the decision for the best item given the resources you have, if you need an item, it's never going to be perfect. Mm. We interviewed a minimalist architect in our first film, Minimalism. And his name was Frank. And he said he spent three years trying to find the couch, the ideal couch for his living room. He couldn't. Mm. So he made one on his own. He had a custom made couch. Now, why did he do that? Is it perfect? No, he recognizes a couch isn't perfect. It is the most ideal for his living room. You put it in a different setting. You put it in my living room and it's imperfect. It doesn't mm. fit my living room. Yeah. And so perfect for an item is always situational. And so ideal is a better is a better concept of this. Mm. What is ideal for me and my situation in this given time? And 
recognizing it might not be ideal in the future. So you make that decision, like Frank made the decision for his couch, so he wouldn't have to consider it anymore. There'd be no more consideration going into it. Mm -hmm. It was the most ideal for that scenario. But if he moves, then he'll make the consideration again. But as long as he stays in that home, he's purchased the item that he no longer has to worry about getting some different couch in the future. He didn't just make a compromise and, well, I guess I'll just get this now Mm -hmm. until I find the next best thing. No, that becomes an endless cycle. What minimalism helps us do, it helps identify the things that will add value to our life so we stop worrying about the things in the first place. Yeah. Yeah, it's it's easy to get caught up on the one. Yes. And I love how if I could help people reframe the one to ideal, Mm -hmm. I think that would... Because when you look at the one, it, it like stunts us from making decisions sometimes, whether it's with a partner whether it's with a couch, mm-hmm. whatever it is, if we're looking for the perfect one, mm-hmm. all you got to do is look in the mirror. Yes. That, that, by the way, that's the only one you're going to find that is already completing you. Yeah. You are already complete. Dan Savage talks about how there is no one for you, so you find that point six four and round <laughs> up. Yeah. And that's what we can do with our stuff as well. Mm-hmm. What is the most ideal for this situation? Yeah. And it's not settling. It's... There's a difference between settling and finding something ideal. Yes. All right. Um, We are looking at Jero's question. Rule one, don't buy on impulse. Plan and consider alternatives, then go buy exactly what you need. Rule Mm. two, don't buy and it will do. If I don't find exactly what I need, I leave without it. Yeah, I think that's, that's the next thing. Unless you need the thing in a radically attenuated time frame. I'll give you an example. We have some stools here in the studio mm-hmm. and it was not the my first choice for stool. It wasn't even my second choice. I think it was my fourth. Mm-hmm. I didn't have access to the other three at the time and we had this live event. And so there was a, it will do, in fact, it is the best that will do given the current constraints. Yeah. And time constraint was one of those things. Mm-hmm. And so because we had time constraint, it was like, oh, these are still work. They don't work as well as the first two or three choices. But because I need it this Wednesday, then that this is what we're going to go with, mm-hmm. right? Yeah. It is the best option given all of the options I have yeah. in this time. Now, if I had more time, then I would wait for restocking and all these other things, right? Mm-hmm. And and finding the most ideal. But I don't want to get caught up in, oh, well, I couldn't get the perfect one, so I'm not ever going to have the thing that I need. Minimalism is not deprivationism. right? And so understanding that some of the things that you need, you're going to have to find the thing that is the best version of what's out there right now. Yeah. Yeah, that's interesting because it's, I could see getting caught up in the minutia of like, you know, settling and then finding something appropriate that, uh, that fits with the, with the circumstances that you have. Yes. It's a balance. It's not easy. Right. Simple advice, but it's yeah, definitely not easy. And maybe the way you differentiate that is needs from wants. Like we needed Mm, these stools in order for this event. Right. Yes. Now I wanted, I want different. In fact, we have different stools. They're going to take six to eight weeks to arrive that they will be here. We're going to sell these other ones. So Mm -hmm. we'll get most of our money back for them at this point, especially since there seems to be a black stool shortage Mm. at this point. Yeah. And so we'll sell them and someone else will get that. We already got the value from them, right? Yeah. Now we're done with it. Someone else can get value from, I'm not going to continue to cling to the stool. Right. But 
the stool ultimately is a want, uh, the, the more aesthetically pleasing, more comfortable version of the stool. We needed stools. That was the need. Yes. The want is the more aesthetically pleasing, comfortable version of the stool. It's going to take a bit longer for us to get those. So what do we do? We wait. It's okay to pause. It's okay to wait. And that's exactly what he's saying here. Amen. Trish has a rule for us. I don't replace things that are in good working condition to get a new model. Man, this makes me think of my laptop right now. I'm getting the little exclamation mark on my battery. Right. And I'm like, it still works okay. Yes. But every time I, I'm like, is my battery about to explode? Like, what the heck is going on? <laughs> um, so, and, and we have the, mm, I don't know if it's a rule, but I know we wrote an essay about like, before you upgrade, don't upgrade, I think was the name of the essay. Yes. In fact, it's one of the, the 16 rules. Yeah. Right. Yeah. yeah. So it is one of those. So it's like, I look at it and I'm like, okay, what can I do before I upgrade this computer? And the answer is I got to replace the battery. I got to figure out how to do that. Mm-hmm. Uh, you know, it's an Apple, so they're going to charge me, you know, a new computer's $2,000. They're going to charge me only $1,000 to replace the battery. <laughs> yeah. No, it's not going to be that much. But it's probably a hundred or 200 bucks probably. Yeah, for sure. So, um, so yeah, I mean, it's, it's something that I'm facing right now, but man, I really, I really do want a new computer. Like I shiny opening mm-hmm. up the box, taking the plastic off. The whole experience. Oh of it. man. Yeah. But, yeah. But I also understand that. It's not something I need, and it's it's so short-lived. Look at that. I literally turned first page to the Boom. don't upgrade rule. <laughs> this is page 226. When it comes to consumer electronics, smartphones, laptops, tablets, you're presented with a newest upgrade every other week. Advertisers spend billions of dollars to get you to lust over their new releases. Mm. And that's what you're talking about, Ryan, that yeah. the opening of... Really, the opening of a box is an inconvenience. I'd rather you just hand me the computer. I don't want all this extra waste. Right. Right? And, and so advertisers spend millions or billions of dollars to get you to lust over their new releases. Your current device, the one that was supposed to satisfy you, is now the object of your displeasure. But you needn't play that game. You don't have to upgrade. Sure, sometimes a thing breaks or wears out. And when that happens, you are left with at least one or with, with at least three options. Number one, go without, repair it a second or third, replace it. Go without, repair it, replace it. But going without is almost taboo in our culture. Mm-hmm. So true, right? You don't have a smartphone. What are you, a caveman? It's crazy. Yeah. Well, you know, it's interesting. I'm just not realizing this. When you uh, first, when you did the no... Uh, the the New Year's resolution of no buying, right? And you like you really tried to go all in with like not buying anything, yes. But then you spilt the tea on your laptop, uh-huh. and you're like, okay, I'm gonna go without, right? And you were like coming over to my house and using my laptop to do some writing and uh-huh. the things you needed to do, right? So you you follow you follow this process with that laptop. So that's yeah, a, that's true. I never applied it to that in my mind, but that that's absolutely true. But it's and it seems taboo. As soon as something breaks or mm-hmm. starts, the battery goes bad, whatever. Yeah, I have to buy the latest, greatest, brand new, whatever. Mm-hmm. No, you can do that. Mm-hmm. You don't have to, and that that's that's the understanding that is helpful here, yep. right? Yep. So, but sometimes it's the best option going without is because you're forced to question whether you need that thing. And occasionally you discover life is actually better without it. So sometimes you go without the thing and you're like, I was going to replace this. Yeah. But my life is actually better without this thing. Yeah. Yeah. And so why would I replace it? 
if my life is, is better without it. Of course, you can always go without, but you can, you, of course, you can't always go without, but you can usually repair your broken item without replacing it. So the battery is the best example of that, Ryan. Yeah. That's absolutely. something you can repair without buying a brand new computer. Yeah. Right? So you did the same thing with your laptop. You're like, okay, mm-hmm. see if I can repair it. Mm-hmm. Yeah. Yeah. And, and if that doesn't work, well, we can go to the third thing here in a second. Um, you wouldn't buy a new car just because the brake pads needed to be changed, would you? And I think that's, uh, it's not, it's an imperfect analogy, but it does go to show like quite often there's something superficial that is going on mm-hmm. or regular maintenance even that you don't throw your car out every time it needs an oil change. Right. You change the oil, yeah. right? Right. Same goes for many household items. And as a last resort, you can replace you you can replace things, but even when you do, you can do so responsibly by purchasing used items. You can even quote downgrade and still have what's necessary to live a fulfilling life. Not only is this approach better for the environment, it's also it's often better for you too. Mm. And so the don't upgrade rule is simply that. It's yes, you can upgrade, but there are alternatives to upgrading. And sometimes it's okay to go without. Sometimes it's okay to simply repair the item. Mm. Oh, you have a pair of blue jeans with a hole in them. Can you patch that? That's what I do with all my, my pants now. Like anytime I get like the I get the pockets yes. that wear out. Me too. My, yeah, so like I'll get the pockets replaced. Mm-hmm. But it's funny because now I'm at a point where I like I brought a pair of pants I don't know months ago to Taylor and I was like hey I need to you know patch up these things like but there's gonna be like patches you're gonna see the patchwork and I'm like yeah it's okay <laughs> like if anything is cool like isn't that cool these days to have distressed things <laughs> right <laughs> yeah so yeah it's uh yeah uh, for me with clothes specifically yeah I, I would much rather fix them than buy some new clothes yeah and then you can always if you are replacing it considering buying used is always an alternative yeah. there's some things you may not want to buy used but you bought a new car recently and it's used and right but it's new to you right? right and so what is new what is used can be new to you jesse has an observation for us here after putting anything in my cart i wait an hour before checking out to decide if this is necessary for my life so you're talking about the 30-30 rule here, but this is just the anything in my cart rule. Mm. So I, I like this. It's adding the additional friction. Now for you, it's an hour and that's fine. What it, you, These rules are malleable, right? Mm. And so if you decide, hey, you know what? Waiting 30 hours or you know, a day or whatever is, is too long for me, but I do want to give myself some time to pause and really consider the purchase. So I'm yeah. not going to one click buy. I'm going to put it in my cart. Or maybe there's other ways to add friction as well. Maybe it's, you always, you, you never stay logged into Amazon on your computer, right? Or mm. the only time you purchase on Amazon is through an incognito window. So you have to log in every single time. Every single time. It simply creates just a little bit of friction. Maybe it's the friction creating rule. Oh, yes. Yeah, yeah. I like that. Yeah, the added friction rule. You know what frustrates me? I have tried so hard to turn off the one click ordering for uh, when I buy audiobooks. It dri- you can't turn it off. Mm. Drives me freaking crazy, man. It's unbelievable. Mm. Anyway, that's the only one little click purchase aside. you want to make. Bezos, is- if you're listening, <laughs> which he is, he's a patron, right? Of course he is. Uh, all right, Lindsay, uh, I see a lot of talk about material items, but I try to apply this to my schedule as well. 
Ooh, good thought. My anxiety goes through the roof if I overschedule myself. I control it by taking a minimalist approach to my schedule and making sure I leave room to complete activities on the weekends that make my weeks easier. So, yes, taking a simplified approach with your schedule, I think that's great. I mean... Does it serve a purpose or bring me joy? Yeah. I asked that about the items, mm-hmm. but isn't that such an important question with how we're spending our time, which is so much more precious to us than even our money, right? Because yeah. money is a renewable resource. Time is something that we all have the same 24 hours of in a day. Now, mm-hmm. it happens within us. We experience time differently. And so, like when I fell yesterday and my hip is all, so I can barely mm. walk right now. When I fell, time slowed down. Yeah, but if things are going really well, I'm writing, for example, and, and it's just firing on all cylinders in that flow state. Yeah, you look up and you're like, "Oh my gosh, it's already 1 p.m. I've been writing since 5 a.m. Yeah. How did that happen?" It's because time exists in you, and we have these different. And so, I'd rather be spending my time where time is eternal, where it is just I don't even notice the time. Because yeah. if you're noticing the time, you're suffering mm. in some way. Ooh, yeah. For sure. All right. Aline, I always have a donation bag and I'm always putting things in there. When I have two full bags, I donate to someone. Uh, the, the two, two bag bags rule. rule. <laughs> <laughs> well, Mariah have like the one box rule. Like uh-huh. we have a donation box and when it gets full, yes. that's when we put it in the back of the car and then we, yeah, go donate. Yeah. The donation bin rule, whatever you want to call it. But having one of those, because and you have it in a place where it doesn't add to your clutter. You don't want it to be miserable to you, mm-hmm. but you want it to be somewhere where you will encounter it with regularity. So you'll remember, oh yeah, I have this donation bin mm-hmm. and maybe it's in my opening, the, the closet. When I first walk into my home, I have this donation bin right there. And anytime it gets full, I'm going to take it to the donation center. But until it gets full, I have this constant reminder. Anytime I take a code out of there or get my drill out or whatever, mm-hmm. I'm going to see that bin. And it's that constant reminder that, oh yeah, maybe I should look for something I'm no longer using, something that doesn't add value to my life anymore. So I could put it in here. So it's no longer getting in the way. I love it. Dana has an observation for us. When I'm cleaning and come across something I completely forgot about, I throw it out. I don't even give myself a chance to think about it. If I forgot about it, I'm not going to miss it. The forget about it rule. Forget about it. That's I was wondering where that was going <laughs> in the minimal episode. You mentioned that. Yeah, during the that. credits there. That's freaking great, man. Like, it's it reminds me of the uh, the box or the boxes I had that always traveled with me from apartment to apartment. You mean every time you moved, you never even opened the boxes? They would exactly. just sit in your garage. Yes, and I'm like. Yeah, at a certain point, I look, I'm like, wait, I forget what are in those boxes. Yeah. And when I was going through the packing party, I'm like, I'm not even going to look in there. Yes. Like, whatever's in there, I obviously don't need. I think I did open one up, and it was like cables and just a bunch of crap that, like, I knew I wouldn't need, you know? Right. Anyway. Right. Yeah. Things we hold on to just in case. So forget about it. Quite often, this is like a, this is the, the child of the just in case rule, in a way. Yeah. I, I really right. dig that, because if you didn't miss it before, you're not going to miss it now. And if there is a core message of minimalism, it's you probably don't need that. And that's especially true about the things you didn't even know you owned. Yeah. And we own a lot of things we don't even know that we own. Mm. Think about the places in your house that you never see, right? You, you Maybe you never see your attic. Who goes in their attic unless it's set up as an office or something? There's just some boxes and dust. 
rarely do we go to the corners of our basement or there's parts of the garage on the top shelf that we haven't seen in a long time or there's that spare closet in the spare bedroom and it's just become this repository of miscellanea mm. and we've forgotten about it mm-hmm. and all of those things we've forgotten about well we don't want to deal with because it's going to take some time or whatever but what if this weekend you just found all the things you forgot about only not nothing else you don't even seek anything out just seek the things you've already forgotten about mm. and if you let those go how would that make you feel yeah. would it move that weight off your shoulders Kayla has a question for us. Everything in my house goes through the thought process. If I died today, there would be someone that would have to deal with all my stuff. And I don't want to put that burden on anyone. I lost my father in my 20s. So I think that's why my thought process goes that way. It's an unfair burden to leave people after you're gone. It's an unfair burden to leave people after you're gone. So this reminds me of that event we were at. And we had someone talking about how they were so stressed out. They didn't know what to do with all their, their uh, parents stuff because both of them, uh, like, you know, one had just recently passed away. That was the last parent. There's a house full of stuff and like the anxiety and angst that that person was going through. It was just, you know, everyone could feel it in the room. Right. And then we, you know, we kind of had some suggestions. We talked about boundaries, you know, we talked about letting go and, you know, the memories are not in the things they are in you, so forth and so on. And then the next question we took, it was that couple that was behind that person and was like, oh man, like we're, we're here because we have a lot of stuff and we know we're gonna have to leave our kids with it. Oof. And the fact that we just saw you go through this pain and anguish of like what your parents left you, like that's, that was leverage enough for those people to like let go of the stuff to not put that burden on their children. Yes. Yeah. You don't want to burden the people you love while you're alive. And you also don't want to burden them after you're gone. You don't want to give them one last burden. We inadvertently burden the people we love all the time. Mm. And so I make a concerted effort to avoid burdening the people that I care about as much as, as possible. I mm-hmm. fail with that, but um, I'm, I'm constantly thinking about the burden that I'm placing on other people. Mm-hmm. But certainly when I die, it's being the most considerate. And it's the reason that you and I, we have you know, a living will and we have you know, a last will and testament. And we have you know, the, all, all the advanced directives, etc. Theminimalists.com slash death, by the way. We'll put a link to that in the show notes. Sean, if you don't mind, that's uh, all the, the sort of paperwork that we have there. Because that's a burden as well. Yeah. When, when yeah. DMX died without a will and 15, maybe 17 kids, not yeah. really sure. Right. Then well, what do you do? Right. Yeah. That's a well, problem. It, it, and it, it causes people to fight. It's an unnecessary burden. It's an unfortunate burden. And so I, I call this one the if I died today rule. Mm, I like it. I'm leaving you a storage unit full of tie clips. Oh. <laughs> <laughs> Thanks. You're welcome. <laughs> Kathy has an observation for us. I always ask myself if I buy this. Where will it live? It has to have a place to live permanently. This is very similar to the container rule. Yes. Where will it live mm. rule? So yeah. so I, what I like about this is quite often we buy something without thinking about where it is going to belong, literally in our homes, but mm. also where does this belong in my life? Yeah. What is this going to do to my life? Mm-hmm. Now, you've had a burden recently with your car, the car that you bought used. Oh, my goodness. Um, Don't get me started. And 
it's just an unfortunate timing of events. You had a tire go bad. You can't you, just replace one tire. Right. Yeah. Right. Especially because you've driven on them for 20,000 miles right. or so. All and, the 50,000 mile maintenance things came up at once. I mean, it was, right. yeah, it was, a. but you know, there is a rule too about like, don't buy a car you can't afford to fix. Yes. So, you know, luckily it's a Toyota and it's, you know, pretty easy to fix. Um, yeah. But yeah, it was, it was, it was a pain in the butt for sure. Yeah. Yeah. And so I guess my point with that is um, it has a it has a purpose in your life. And occasionally you have these these calls that you're prepared for. Now, yeah. they all happened at once. So it was a bit burdensome, burdensome to you. Mm-hmm. But car repairs in general are inevitable. Yes. And it's going to be a burden at some point. If we're not prepared for it, if we're prepared for it mm-hmm. and you have an emergency fund and, and, you, and you have that taken care of, it's not nearly the burden, Ryan, that if all of a sudden you had a thousand dollar bill, but you had $16 in the bank, right? Totally different kind of burden. Yeah, for sure. And now you're panicking. Now you're overwhelmed. Now you're stressed mm-hmm. out. Now mm-hmm. you're anxious, mm-hmm. but because you've prepared, it's not a real burden. It's a, it's a slight inconvenience. Yeah. I mean, I have an emergency fund for a reason. Yes. Yeah. Tabitha has something for us here. All purchased, I'm sorry, all things purchased must have a dual purpose of some kind. So the dual purpose rule here. Yeah. And and so when I think about this, you know, there are quite a few things that we buy, such like kitchen utensils. There are so many different uses Mm -hmm. that you can use individual utensils for. How does that apply to other areas in our life? Now, of course, I can think of, there are a million exceptions to this rule. Sure. But even then, like my, my bed sheets, for example, they tend to have one purpose, right? Yeah. It's, yeah. I mean, it's, but there's, I mean, there, I guess there's always like an aesthetic thing you can add to. Yes. To it, to an item. So yeah, exactly. So, so that's, that's exactly where I was going. I was like, well, really my bed sheets do have the, the purpose of I sleep on them. Mm-hmm. Also, I have sex on them, so that's a dual purpose right there, mm-hmm. right? But then there is the aesthetic beauty. So I'm not just buying the purely functional bed sheets. If I wanted that, I'd buy like a used pair with like uh, Barney the dinosaur on them. It wouldn't right. matter to me, right? Right. But it does matter to me. Having a sense of aesthetic beauty in the home, mm-hmm. beauty is essential, as Erwin McManus says. Yeah, that is important to me. So in a way, it has a, a triple function for me and so we can think about that with a lot of our things as well i think it's a great question to ask whenever you're purchasing something like is there a dual function for this yes or is there something else i already own that can serve this function yeah and that will prevent me from taking on the extra thing and it'll allow me to sort of avoid the impulse there yeah now patrons before we go we're going to end this episode with buna muhammad's talk it's called kill them with love and uh we love you we're grateful for you we appreciate you yes thank you for supporting the podcast you make it all possible you keep us 100 percent advertisement free if you've gotten a copy of love people use things we're sort of winding down the promotional period of that right now it'd be really meaningful for us if you left an honest review over on amazon goodreads and Barnes and Noble. We'll put links to all three of those in the yeah. show notes to make it easy for you. This is the only time we're going to ask on a Patreon episode for you. We asked last week on the the minimal. I forgot to ask on the maximal. So patrons, uh, in fact, if you're a VIP, especially we sent you a copy of the book. So you got an advanced copy. Yes. We'd be really grateful 
for an honest review on all three platforms. Those reviews really do help more than you realize. It's the reason I don't ask every single time. Ryan doesn't ask every single time we do an episode to rate and subscribe and review right. because it does mean something to us. If I ask you every time, then it's not meaningful. Right. Yeah, no, I totally agree. Now, for me, it sounds overwhelming to leave three, three reviews, but you don't necessarily have to write three different reviews, right? You can just write one review yes. and then just go over to those places and copy and, and paste. Copy and paste, yeah. That'd be really helpful. That'd be awesome. All right, y'all. Enjoy this talk, whether you're watching the video version or the audio version. This is Kill Them With Love. Thank you so much, patrons. Show me a stranger and I'll show you a friend that you haven't met yet. Plus any obstacle in the way of anything is usually just one of the prices of success and people are more than numbers. To crack a smile is really no stress. Divide my time like economics. I love to say hi and buy less. Multiply first impressions by everything you might have guessed. Prejudice takes time, but my time is business and this just makes big dollars and cents. Why would you hate when love just costs less? In fact, the muscles it take to make a frown make more work than to just turn it upside down. But you hate it when I'm polite, can't stand when I'm sincere, calling me all these names, wondering why I'm still just standing here. Mainly because your ignorance leaves me to believe that you really just need a hug. <laughs> and I've been public enemy number one ever since I learned to kill them with love. I am a psychotic serial lover. Seriously considering only complimenting our mothers because whether you like it or not, I am your brother. A teddy bear terrorist chilling with my well-mannered crew. Yeah, you a racist, but I'ma still hold the door open for you. Cause seriously, dude, ain't no need for the attitude. And I'm mad at you, I have bad days too. Here's my celly, let's talk, I'm a great listener too. Family driving you crazy, man, I know how they do. Let me know I love kids, I could be a babysitter too. Yeah, boy, cause I'm nice like that. I even watch your car if you promise that you'll be right back. So relax and be cool, ain't no point in lying to you. I am a servant and my master sees all that I do. So tell me what you need, dude. A dollar here, take two at you. May Allah bless you, guide you, and make things easy for you. This respect thing. It's just what I do, and it's past tolerating. It's on the path of understanding and appreciating you. So tell me what you're gonna do when the love come for you. Insult my heritage? We both from Adam and Eve, fool. Oh snap, how you like that? You gave me a 
extra change and I gave it right back. I let people pass when they want to switch lanes. Cause if it was me, I hope they do the same. You butchered my name, but this A-OK, it happens all the time. I won't correct you anyways. And it may sound strange, but I'ma be that change. Improve every day to prove that rudeness is lame. I believe in modesty and trying to lower my gaze. And if everything is from above, then everything is the same. I ain't impressed by money, cars, clothes, or fame. I am a Muslim, so the trinkets of this world don't mean a thing. I was taught that peace is not the absence of war, but peace is a feeling that can only come from remembering your Lord. So for the sake of peace, there is no point in hating me anymore. It's a big place. We can all live together in this world. I invite you all to join me in this jihad of love and see firsthand why fundamentalism still begins with fun. <laughs> and if you don't agree, I won't even judge. I just kill you all <laughs> with love. <laughs>